The following broadcast is brought to you by the friends and partners of Revival Ministries International. Take your Bibles now and go with me to Genesis chapter 29. I'm continuing on the series on authority, which I'll continue next Sunday. This really has been a crazy time for me because this series that I'm sharing with you I actually taught back, mm, must have been about 2000 and, no, <laughs> 1985. All right, 1985. So, um, several weeks ago, I was sleeping, and in the middle of the night, I found myself with my notes and pulled up the points of the sermon. And I thought, that's really weird. I've never had that happen. So, basically, I was reading my notes of a message I preached all those years ago. So, when I woke up in the morning, I went to my office, opened the desk, uh, the drawers of the, of the, the cabinet, pulled out the notes, and within three pages, I had the whole series. And uh, every week that's happened, last week, I woke up with the next point. This week, went to sleep. Um, Thursday, Wednesday night after, you know, the terrible wreck. And uh, woke up, I had the very next point. And I want to share this with you today. This is very important. When you understand this, you understand how things operate. Genesis 29, and we read from verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Labor said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. What do you think about that? I mean, if you love somebody... And the father said, if you work for me for seven years, you, uh, you can get her, but you love her so much. Are you with me? That you, you, fine, I'll do that. Basically, I'm letting you off the hook there, boy. <laughs> All right, moving right along. <laughs> Sorry, I had to bring that up. So now, verse 22, and, and Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. Now, I want to talk to you about stipulated authority. We're going to start of talking about that stipulated authority. is like a contract. And you write into the contract what the agreement is. So for Jacob wanting Rachel, he actually said, I'll work seven years. I'll work seven years for her. So there was a, a contract that when he finished the seven years, he thought, well, hey, I'm going to get Rachel. But he didn't understand how authority actually works. The delegated authority may authorize you to act on their behalf. You must qualify that authority and specify exactly what you're responsible for. This is stipulated authority. You enter into a legal contract. And this works in the natural realm as well as it does in the spiritual realm. In verses 18 19, of course, as I read, Jacob loved Rachel, said, I will serve seven years. So he entered into agreement, a contract, a covenant with Laban, Rachel's father, and it was stipulated because there was a time limit on it, seven years, which I promise you, if I love somebody, I, won't, I ain't waiting seven years. I mean, that's for, that's for sure, because my father-in-law tried to put some kind of stipulated on me that I need to go out and make full success in my ministry, then come get his daughter. And I just immediately said, I do love her, but if I leave here, if she's not with me, I ain't ever coming back. So then he had to, he had to, make another arrangement. Amen. <laughs> I said, she's starting with me on the ground floor. 
Jacob asked Laban to do his part and give Rachel to him. However, there was another law that was in operation that Jacob knew nothing about. He didn't know about authority in custom. Now, what do you mean, Pastor? Okay, so somebody said, well, there's a stipulated agreement here, but there's also an authority in custom. If you read here, Genesis 29, verses 22. Now, how many have the bulletin? Who doesn't have a bulletin? All the notes are in the bulletin. That's why when you come to church, get a bulletin. If I see staff members walking in you without a bulletin, I'm going to lay hands on you. All right, Genesis 29, 22 through 27. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. It came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her, and Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid, and it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and then he said to Laban, first of all, again, <laughs> like, <laughs> you love somebody so much, but you don't check to see who it is when you, you know, go on your honeymoon and you have to wake up the next morning to find out that it's not who you thought it was. I don't really understand that, but that's something that's a little bit beyond me. I would have checked her face out before anything. Are you with me? But obviously he was in a hurry. That's why we say to all the young men, don't be in a hurry. First check out everybody. Right. So he said, what is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And David said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. So that was the authority in custom. The authority in custom is first the older, then the younger. So, of course, had he known that, he would have negotiated differently. Said, okay, I'll work a year for Leah, and I'll work three years for Rachel. I mean, you would, work, you would have worked a deal if you knew you were going to have to, because what he ended up doing is he had to work another seven years. And so, when I meet Jacob one day, I just want to go, what were you thinking? <laughs> So he said, fulfill her week, which seven years, like a week, all right, whatever, and we'll give thee this also for thy service, which thou shalt serve with me another seven years. Now, obviously, in the long run, it worked in Jacob's favor, but it still was a long time to work to get the girl that he wanted. Are you with me? Jacob had a stipulated agreement with Laban. However, another law, the authority and custom superseded it. Laban made this law work to his advantage. Whether it was fair or not, it was customary law. Had Jacob known, he would have or could have negotiated differently. After one week, which was another seven years, Jacob was able to marry Rachel, but he was required to work seven more years. Um, I probably would have copped an attitude by that seven-year period of time. <laughs> and then it would be hard. But obviously, it's a wonderful Bible story. Again, I don't know how they worked the stuff out. Um, I'm just trying to put myself in the, in, the, in the place when you were expecting Rachel and you end up with Leah. You know what I'm saying? And obviously, Rachel was much prettier than, than Leah. Otherwise, he was, he was not attracted to Leah. Are you with me? I'm not saying she was ugly. <laughs> Just, you look at Jacob and go, boy, did you, did you, did you pick a winner there? <laughs> great, great job there. Phenomenal. <laughs> or I'll leave it alone. Does your mind think like mine? Huh? 
Is it okay to ask these questions when we're looking at the Bible? Is it okay to think along these lines? Like, what were you thinking there for a second? I would be greatly disappointed. (laughs) It's not funny. 14 years is a long time. Are you with me? So a lot of times people get into problems because they don't actually understand authority. Somebody said, well, is that in operation today? Yes, it is in operation today. There's certain things that work and certain things that don't work. And you have to find the laws that govern authority to find out how you're going to function within that realm. Because I promise you, it'll get to you. At all times, both in the natural and spiritual realms, there are many different laws and operations. We must apply ourselves to understand these laws. We must know and understand which law complements each other and which laws are reciprocal or opposites. For example, when flying an airplane, we must understand the opposing laws that govern flight to use them to our benefit. The law of gravity, the law of lift, the law of thrust, and the law of drag. It's imperative that we also understand complementary and opposing spiritual laws in order to work, walk in the blessing of God. Like the Bible says, forgive for your prayers to get answered. How are you going to harbor unforgiveness and you want your prayers answered? That's a law that's in operation. So you have to forgive. Somebody says, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. I'm sorry, do you need the miracle? Yes, then you must forgive. Well, I can't forgive. Well, then you're not going to get the miracle. God does not go beyond his laws. Amen. Amen. Now, this custom, now we bump into this law of custom in every place we go to because when you arrive at a church, there's certain customs. How many know there's certain customs here at the river? Okay. So if you, first time you come to the river, you're like, shocked if you've never been in a service like this because you're not used to the customs here at the river if you go to a church where they don't clap hands and they don't lift their hand to worship God and you you don't know any difference so you're there and there's a song and you raise your hand everybody glares at you like what are you doing so why because you're breaking the custom so now you feel pressure Not to raise your hand because it's not customary for the people to raise their hand. So there's certain places you can't go in and do certain things that you want to do. Somebody said, well, it's a church. Yeah, but you better find out what their customs are before you go there. Well, I'll just stand up and interrupt the thing. (laughs) It's not customary for people to stand up and interrupt. You'd be carried out. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 16, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So Paul is talking about what some people want to argue over, and it's not even a custom of the church. But they make a whole law out of it. Well, the church should be run like this, or there's no, there's no custom concerning that. If you, if you look at the book of Acts, you'll see what the custom was. Signs, wonders, miracles, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, and devils coming out. That's the custom. Now, if you go to church and they don't believe in devils, somebody said, well, they don't believe in devils because half of their choir are devils. <laughs> and their deacons are devils. Are you with me? So they don't believe in devils because they have them there and they don't want to upset the devils that they got. But Paul is saying that when there is a custom, it carries authority and must be observed. So now when we travel to foreign fields and we go to countries and we have to deal with presidents and there's all what they call protocols. Now, when I'm doing a one night service, it's impossible for me to let them handle the service and go through all the protocols because the protocols will take two hours. By the time I get up, I can't, I got no time to operate. Are you with me? I've got one service. I've got to preach. I've got to pray for people, give altar calls. And that if they do their customs, it's not going to work. So what we already 
by stipulated authority, we start negotiating before we come, say, okay, before, when we leave, you can do all your customs. When we come in, you can't do any of that because we're only there for one night. Yeah, but we have to, have, no, I'm sorry. And, and that's how we agree to go or not go. So in other words, a place that will not allow us to flow, we can't go because I'm not going to go and be in rebellion to them and just walk up and be rude with these kings or leaders and I just take over the service and always sit down and shut up. I'm not going to find myself in that, in that position. Right. I was in a foreign country in Asia and um, the interpreter that I had was, was horrendous. In actual fact, I had to keep repeating myself what, what I was saying. And, but I knew that the interpreter was a senior pastor in the nation. Are you with me? Well, there were people sitting correcting him. So I slowed down when I was speaking, and I just kept repeating it, sometimes two, three times, so he got it right. And there were people saying, we'll change, we'll swap out. But I knew that if I did that, the custom to take a senior man and to make him sit down would have been so embarrassing to him and to many of the church people that it would have turned the service in the wrong way. So they, they, people saying, well, I, I went like this, no, just leave him right there. And so I let him continue the whole service. It was a struggle, it was a battle, but all of that should have been arranged beforehand, not while you're preaching. So I couldn't say, sir, please just sit down and shut up. He's a senior pastor over many churches. It's not his problem, he couldn't speak English, I couldn't speak his language. And so when I arrived there, because he was a senior man, they said, no, he will be the interpreter for the night, which had the people arranging the meeting stipulated a little bit more, said, look, we really need somebody who can actually understand English, and especially Pastor Rodney, because he speaks another kind of English. So I was not going to throw the service away and embarrass him in front of everybody. Because I realized, somebody said, who told you that? The Holy Ghost said, the Holy Ghost said to me, you'll stick with him, let him finish the service, and you'll just make do, I'll still move. Just keep repeating yourself. Some people need to hear it three times anyway. <laughs> and I did, and God moved and the altar filled and the power of God fell, and the senior man, he, the, he was not embarrassed in front of everybody. Because it would have been a terrible embarrassment for him, for me to make him go sit down and bring a younger person up to translate. Do you understand what I'm talking about? But if you don't know that, then you just go in like a bull in a china shop and cause major problems in what's the custom. Is this helping anybody here? So, Paul is saying that when there is a custom and carries authority, it must be observed. Custom means convention, a usual or habitual practice, typical mode of behavior, the usual way of acting in given circumstances, the long-established habits or traditions of a society collectively. So in other words, if I'm standing here and I go, what would you do if the thing you were believing God for was supernaturally met right now? Okay, no. okay, okay. Now, that's customary here, but if you visit it, you go, oh my God, what are they doing? So he said, I can't believe it. He just made a stand. The whole place jumped up. People started jumping up and down, but it's just the custom that we do. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's why I tell people, when you go to foreign countries or you go in a place, find out what the customs are. What's the first thing you meet when you go to a country? Customs. Anyway. <laughs> no, and they have certain agreements. You have to follow those agreements to get into the country. Are you with me? If you go to church where the congregation does not lift their hands and praise God, you'll feel the influence of their authority when you lift your hands. If a church where it's customary to lift your hands and praise God, you'll feel free to do likewise. Customs, now this is where it's important, should be directed by God's word, not man's traditions. 
which that brings into the whole thing that Jesus was dealing with the whole time. He said, you make the word of God of none effect because of your tradition. Now, how, we do, how do we change that? You have to sit down with leadership and say, okay, let me show you something here. This is what you've been doing, but that doesn't work. Yeah, but that's the tradition. We've been doing that for 30 years. Okay. Let me ask you, how has the tradition worked for you? Not really that well. Okay, can I show you how to do it here? Then you begin to change people by teaching them the Word of God and what the Word of God says. Otherwise, they make null God's Word because of the traditions of men. That's why in some places you see a move of God and other places you don't. I know there's youth staring at me thinking I'm going to make you work seven years for your partner. Just relax. (laughs) There is no such custom. They were, they were looking at me, they go, oh God, seven. But I could see some parents are going, hmm, hmm, yeah. <laughs> now tradition carries authority, but don't make a mistake of putting custom or tradition above the word of God. So what we want to do, we want to take the Word of God and make it authority. We want to take the Word of God and make that our custom. It is customary to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's customary to lay hands on the sick and cast out devils. It's customary here to speak in other tongues. It's customary here to prophesy. It's customary here to do whatever the Bible says do. Now, in some of the places that, you know, accept the Bible, at least they do that, they say, no, no, God stopped those customs. So in other words, we don't pray for the sick anymore. That was for the days of the apostles. And so basically, they take half of what God wants to do, yet there's many people that are sick. So if if God doesn't heal the sick, what do we tell the sick? Um, Sorry, there's no hope for you. God only blessed people under the early church. But, you know, we the latter church, and unfortunately there's nothing for us, so you're just going to have to go ahead and die. I know it's a sad thing, but that's just the way it is. God didn't love us like he loved the early church, and he stopped doing that, which there's no proof that he stopped doing that. But they take the word of God and twist it to make it suit their customs. And most of it is an excuse for the reason why they don't have the anointing or the power of God. I mean, there's more sick people on the planet today than there's ever been. If ever we need the healing power of God, we need it today. People should be able to come to church to get healed. People should come to church to get set free. People should come to church to have depression and oppression broken off of their life. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God. In Matthew 15, verses 1, then came Jesus to the scribes and the Pharisees, which are Jerusalem, saying, Why do the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But Jesus answered and said, Why do you transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? So in other words, they were stuck on Old Testament law of washing your hands when you eat, which, I mean, I would recommend that. But when you're hungry, you know, a hungry person, he don't care about washing his hands. Think about that. You don't see a hungry person starving in the street, you give him food, and you say, I need to wash my hands first. (laughs) Boy, when somebody's hungry, they grab that food and chow down. Wash your hands afterwards. <laughs> so he said, why do you transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him down to death. But you say, whosoever shall say to his father and mother, it is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandments of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well done. Isaiah prophesied of you, saying, 
This people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's why you're not going to hear us teach some idea that we come up with. We're going to teach what the Word of God says. Can you say amen? And then I can tell you my opinion. I say, this is my opinion on the matter, but it's not Scripture. And of course, your opinion doesn't matter, but a lot of people think their opinion actually matters. Your opinion doesn't matter when it comes to the Word of God. Remember the authority structure? God, then truth, which is His Word, and then your conscience. Isn't that right? And then delegated authority, stipulated authority, and all the different realms that we're talking about right now, but that's how it functions. So people say, well, I'll go do this. You know, I feel the Lord's leading me to do this. And you, and you look at what they're doing, it's contrary to the scripture. Well, I heard the Lord speak to me. No, you didn't hear God speak to you. You, you chewing Cheech and Chong uh, gummy bears. You're not, God didn't speak to you. Hello. Somebody said, I got high on the anointing. He didn't get high on the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It's that medicinal marijuana that, that you went by and you were puffing. No, the Lord spoke to me. He did not. God would never tell you to do something contrary to his word. Some say, well, it's the first time. No, it's not. God does not go against his word. So Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for teaching and observing man-made religious traditions instead of Bible doctrines. So we're not telling you that you have to come to church every Sunday and fall down. We didn't tell you you have to come to church and laugh your head off every service. We don't tell you you have to come here, sit here, and everybody speak in tongues. But if the power of God moves, people fall down, fine. If they get baptized in the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues, fine. People get healed, fine. These, this is what the Word says. But we don't, we don't make it a law. If you're, going to, if you're going to come to the River Church, you better find a carpet. No, because I've been to churches that do all of that and there's no anointing. So they, they're now trying to copy what we do with no anointing. And now they're making something to be a law. And, they, and people, people are not stupid. People can say, I don't feel, I don't feel any anointing thing. Somebody said, oh, the Holy Ghost is there. He ain't there. You're making up that stuff. You can imitate, but that doesn't mean to say the Holy Spirit's there. Do you understand what I'm saying? You grabbing a hold of this here today? So not every time when people laugh is it the joy of the Lord. People crack a joke and then somebody starts laughing. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. It's not the Holy Ghost. They're just laughing. You can't believe what I've seen people do over the last 30 years of revival. And I just shake my head. I went to one church and everybody comes and they line them up for prayer and everybody just lay down. I didn't even went to pray for them. They all lay down. I said, what are you doing? No, no, a preacher came through and just said, look, you just need to submit and just lie down and receive. I went and said, told everybody, stand up. Everybody get up. Otherwise, I'm not praying for you. I'm not coming down where you're lying on the ground. But it was a preacher that had no anointing who didn't know how people were going to come out of the anointing, so he made them all lie down, just lie down and soak. You can't believe what I've had to deal with. I thought, how horrible. These poor people. As though knocking people in the ground was a sign that God was with you. Are you grabbing what I'm talking about here? Yes. 
you go look at the Quakers, the Quakers were called Quakers because everybody quaked. Years later, people were quaking, but there was nothing to quake. It was just a learned habit that they did. No anointing. Everything we do must stem from the presence of God and from the anointing. Otherwise, all we're doing is just fabricating something. And we're not here to fabricate anything. Many people travel, minister, they feel pressure to do something. I'll be, I'll be frank with you. If I get frank, I'll just be right. I feel no pressure whatsoever. I feel about as much pressure as I did the other day when the wreck took place to get out of the car to go look at the front of the, the, the bump of the car. I felt nothing. I feel, I feel the exact same way right now. I don't feel any pressure to do anything. I'm not here to prove anything to anybody. I'm just here to preach the Word of God. God is the one that confirms the Word. Can you say amen? amen. So we're not going to take the traditions of men and then make that doctrine. The Word of God is where we get our traditions from. The Word of God is what we base our doctrines on. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So this is important that we understand that. Then, then you know you're functioning in authority. The centurion, remember what happened with him? He said, Lord, just speak the word only in my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. He said, no, no, I'm a man of authority. I said, this one go and he goeth to another one come and he cometh. You just speak the word and my servant's going to be healed. And Jesus said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel. Why? Because the centurion understood authority. Lord, you don't have to come under my house if you just speak the word. Isn't that awesome? He was a man of authority and he understood authority. Some of the best people that we have working in our ministry, all people that came out of the ministry that come and serve God because they understand authority. Some of the worst situations we've had is people that don't understand authority and they keep pushing the envelope and bucking up against whatever. We can have, we can have, and how many know to run an operation like this or a university, you have to have some rules. It can't be, well, this is 21st century. Everybody come do what you want to do. There has to be some rules. I mean, you know, we, we, we have a, a, an attire, a rule for clothing when people come. If we didn't have a rule for clothing, you wouldn't even imagine what people would show up here. <laughs> people are trying to learn and they can't learn. People are trying to study and they can't study. Then people say, well, you're just religious. You make all these rules. No, there's, uh, rules are there for a reason. If you fly on an aircraft, why do you think that there's a special rule when they make sure that everybody's seated in your seatbelt is fastened? Why? Because when you take off down the runway at a high speed and take off, people are going to go flying through the plane. They're going to hit their head on the roof. Somebody's going to run down... 30 rows of chairs, especially if the plane's taking off. People would land at their destination, bleeding, broken bones, whatever. Because somebody, I said, sit down, fasten your seatbelt. I just, sit down, fasten your seatbelt. How many have seen people thrown off an aircraft because they wouldn't follow the rules? Isn't that right? That's why you fly an international flight. One of the things says nobody lies on the floor because people, it, you know, the lights go off in the plane. They think, I'll sleep on the floor. If that plane hits turbulence, you're going to be sleeping on the roof. I mean, when you arrive at the aircraft, they call for the zones. Why? Because if they didn't, everybody would stampede. They would crush. If you want to see a stampede, fly in Europe. Go to Europe, and they open the gate of the plane. Just watch. Your parents, they don't care. They just push in. Go to some places in Asia. 
They jump on there carrying a cow and a chicken. You'd be sitting there and the chicken's running down the aisle of the plane. Isn't that right? No regulation. So a lot of times when it comes to authority, people buck authority or buck the system because they say, well, I don't know why they do that. But if you were running the operation, then you would understand why those things are done. And it's only when you become the person in charge and you go, oh, now I know why they put those regulations in place. It was not for my harm, it was actually for my good. Are you with me? Is this helping anybody here? Today? I understand it's a free country, but when it comes to the things of God, it comes to the things of his word, then we follow what his word says. That's the pattern for our life. And it's not so that somebody can lord it over somebody. Are you with me? You might have a prophetic gift, but just because you have a prophetic gift does not mean to say you have a right to walk around to everybody and give prophecies to everybody in any meeting you go to. Keep it to thyself. Somebody said, yeah, but the Lord gave me a word. It's not your place to come give people a word. They don't know who you are. You can't stop a person getting by his car. Um, hey, the Lord gave me a word for you. You don't know who the person is. Are you one drive-by prophetic words from some crazy <laughs> lunatic just coming out of the woodwork? Hello. You come out there, there's somebody who's got his hands on your wife and he's got, prophesying over your wife and laying hands on them. No, the Bible says, know them that labor among you. Who are you? What are you doing? Well, I have a word from God. I have a word from you too. Get your dang hands off my wife. <laughs> Some say, were well, you trying to quench the spirit? No, your spirit need to be quenched. <laughs> we had a situation here at one of the conferences where I met this pastor, he pastors a big church down in Miami. You wouldn't know him, because I didn't know him until I met him. And uh, I mean, you wouldn't know. So don't, what I mean is, you wouldn't know who it is. It's not like a name that everybody knows. Nobody, he's not like, you know. But he's known to himself. Are you with me? And Pastor, Pastor Tony Carpenter was here and at the time on staff and because he's got tattoos and stuff like that, whatever, because comes out of the world and came to Bible school and graduated and we ordained him and pastors in the church. And so, but all of our pastors know, do not allow people to just come down and start prophesying over people. So he, this guy walks up to Pastor Tony, who's one of our pastors, and starts says, hey, he's a so-called prophet, apparently, whatever. Now, he's my guest. I'm actually paying for him to be in the hotel. I just wanted to get him in the meeting so he could get some touch of God, you know. But no, he's got to exercise his gift. He's got a big church, a 1,500-member church or whatever, you know. And he's known amongst all the prophets, and everybody knows who he is. When he walks in the room, they all stand at attention. Nobody here knew who the guy was. We'd never seen him before. comes down to... Pastor Tony said, listen, the Lord says you've been through a rough time. What, is that because you see the tattoos all over my body? And the Lord says that you're going through this hard time right now, but God's moving. And Pastor Tony said, that's total rubbish. I'm not going through any hard time. I'm actually very happy. And the guy said, well, I'm a prophet and I'm here. And he said, look, you better just shut up now because you're out of line. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you off the property. Well, I know Pastor Rodney. Yeah, but the problem is he doesn't understand because he texts me. He says, I can't believe your, your, one of your pastors told me to shut up. I said, good. <laughs> he said, you mean you agree with him? I said, yes. I said, it was not your place. It was not your place to come forward to give him any word. Well, the Lord gave me a word. Keep it to Miami. I did not bring you here to prophesy. I brought you here to actually help you. Because I took one look at your face. 
and one look at your wife's face and I knew that you needed help. So I brought you here to get you under the anointing. And you felt that anointing and then you took upon yourself to walk around to hand out prophetic words and it didn't work out fine. Just say, I'm sorry, back off and sit in the meetings. And he couldn't say so he packed his bags and left. You know, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. I should have briefed him first. I know you have a prophetic gift. Please just keep it to yourself. Just come and receive. So he was embarrassed because he didn't understand authority and custom. Because I told all our pastors, if anybody comes and starts prophesying over members of the congregation, grab a hold of them, shake them till the false teeth rattle, <laughs> and throw them off the property. Why? Because we're going to protect the congregation. Is this okay? Yes. If you didn't, if you didn't set these things in place, you wouldn't even be able to go to the restrooms. You'd go to the restrooms and hands would come under the doors. <laughs> the Lord would say unto thee, verily. And you go, look, I just really came to do my business. I mean, if you don't mind, but you must know, <laughs> you must know if the, only if the only place people prophesize the taught it, it must be a real crappy prophecy. <laughs> Like, bro, if you don't mind, I actually just came here to get rid of some stuff. <laughs> I mean, this is actually not the time or the place. The toilet is not the time or the place to hand out prophecy. The toilet's a place to hand out other stuff. <laughs> don't people leave, oh, well, they control freaks, they stop people from whatever. No, because you go to other places, it's a free fall. Yeah. It's a total zoo. Yeah. I went to a meeting in Chicago. There's probably maybe 1,500 people at the place. Everybody was prophesying of everybody. It was a total zoo. There was no coordination of nothing. There were bodies. People were standing around. I couldn't even, I couldn't even give an altar call. And the problem was even the music that they used was all secular tunes. So, they, which, you know, I mean, I don't get up and function off ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> Unless I'm doing an outreach in the inner city and they decide to sing, but I mean, they wouldn't sing that. If you understand, they do some rap, whatever. I can get up off of a rap in the inner city and give an altar call, but I'm not going to go into a service and allow people to do whatever they want to do. Because there's a flow to the anointing. Can you say amen? It's customary in the year of God household to do certain things. It's not customary in a Greek house to do German things. It's customary in the Greek household to do Greek things. Amen? Amen. And you don't go into somebody's house and do your thing in their house. Amen. So find out what how does this house function? That's why I, I talk to the pastors. They want me to come. And I said, look, I've already watched. I pulled up your services on YouTube. I said, we're going to have a problem. No, no, we really want you to come. I said, no, we're going to have a problem. I'm just telling you, I'd rather not come. I'm glad you come to my meetings, but it's not going to work for me to come to your church. What do you mean? But we really love your ministry. I said, yeah, fine. But I tuned into your service. I looked at your service. There's a lot of stuff I, I can't allow. The lady with the paint, painting while, while you're preaching. I said, I'm sorry. I, I, you call it prophetic art? It's very pathetic. In actual fact, my four-year-old grandson will do a better job of painting. So I, if, they, if they're going to paint while I preach, I'm going to knock that thing off the easel. I'm just going to tell you. Or you know me, I'll go over here. So what's prophetic about this? Do you want to tell everybody? Here's a microphone. Please explain to me what you see in here. What's prophetic here? Well, it just looks like the lightning hit the toilet.
and then they call it prophetic. So there's a lot of stuff that's being done today in the church that's got nothing to do with the Word. People just come walk up and lie down. We were in that one place, I think it was Oakland, California, back in the 90s. And these kids come running down and they all fall down and they roll across the front of the church. And I was like shocked. I was like, what? Because they'd seen meetings where power God hit somebody in the roll. So they thought, now when we just started the natural, the Lord will, nothing. There was no anointing for them to do that. California, man. And then when we try to straighten them out, they got mean. Oregon, Oregon was, was crazy. Back in the 90s, I was preaching in Portland, Oregon. They were throwing Bibles at, at our people. These are Christians throwing Bibles. I think Antifa was birthed there that one night. <laughs> Somebody said, you threw me out of the service. Yes, you threw a Bible. It hit an old lady on the head. <laughs> now, obviously, this is not common in all churches. I'm talking about some charismatic churches, you know, wherever anything goes. And I've seen enough. That's why I thank God for the river. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as ye know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation of men of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we didn't get saved by tradition. You're not healed by tradition. You're not delivered by tradition. You're saved because of his word. You're healed because of his word. You're delivered because of his word. His word is the authority, whether people like it or not. God confirms his word. He watches of his word to confirm it. And he's looking for people that will believe his word. And the moment you believe his word, and you act on it in faith, then God comes and does exactly what he said he would do. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the authority of the word of God is, is, is comfortable to me. I stay within the bounds of that. I don't, I don't go beyond that. I stay within that. And the Holy Spirit is the one that constrains you, keeps you in. saying, no, don't do that. And some of the things you just have to learn as you go along. Amen. And then in your personal life, in your home, with your children. Children have to learn authority. Let me close with this. I was on the phone this last week with, actually I'm gonna to get to meet him with a, with a billionaire. And he told me a story that was horrific. And of course, as devastating as what the story is, which you'll probably get to hear it sometime because I'm gonna bring him here. It's really catapulted him into the ministry that he's doing today. But a situation happened, of course he is, I won't give too much information out, but he was in a foreign country and his wife called him and said, our son has just been arrested for murder, 16 year old son. And um, he said, if you would have called me on the phone and said, my son just got killed in a car wreck, I could have handled that. But he said the murder was devastating apparently the boy was exposed to pornography at the age of eight. 
And by the time he was 16, he was in his truck, drove down the road, saw an eight-year-old girl, went, took her, took her to his house, took her to the basement, of course, did terrible things to her, and then cut her into many pieces. And of course, he, when his wife called him, because the son actually for days they were looking for the little girl, they couldn't find the little girl, and the son walked upstairs, told his mother, I killed the girl, and the body's in the basement, it's cut in pieces. And so she said, well, call the police. They called the police, police came there, and sure enough, he said, for actual fact, for a number of years, he said, in, in actual fact, still to this day, he said, there'll be times in the middle of the night, I wake up, I can hear the helicopters over my house. He said, I still curl up in a fetal position and cry because I cannot believe that my son would have done something like that. And he said, I went to the prison where he was being held at the age of 16. And he said, I said, I have to know something from you. He said, look me in the eye right now. And, and he said, did you sexually molest this child before you cut her up? And he said, he turned, looked away and he turned. And when he looked at me, he said, I was looking in the face of a demon. And he screamed profanity at me. And of course, he was in prison for life. The son now subsequently has got saved and is doing Bible studies in the prison, but will never be let out. But that started that father on a quest. Now, he made a vow that he was going to help as many young people as possible get set free from pornography. And he's reaching out. And what he's doing is outstanding. So what I'm trying to say to you is he took, because he said that would be the end of my life. He said, in actual fact, I thought of taking my life. I thought, how would I ever hold my head again, given what, what our family has been through? But then he ended up ministering to other family people of other families that have been devastated by the children doing the same thing. So he said, from now till the time, and he got saved as a result of all this thing pressing into God. He said, I will take the rest of my days, and basically I'm going to make the devil pay for what he did to my son, and I'm going to help thousands of young people get set free from pornography. And he, he's a multi-billionaire, and, and the stuff he's doing is revolutionary. So um, um, I talked to him, and we're going to get together and talk, and I'm going to help him, uh, you know, how we, we can, you know, here at the river. Because obviously he still deals with stuff. I want to get him out of the anointing so he can get some joy, because he needs joy. Are you with me? You can't just internalize everything. I want everybody to bow your heads if you would, please across this room here today. Now, why did I bring that up? And what's that got to do with authority? Well, while we're talking here, there's many people sitting or people watching today, dealing with different situations in your life that was beyond your control, where the enemy came in and totally devastated or did whatever he did. But the Lord is saying to you today, as you surrender to him today, as you submit to his authority, God will take you and use your life to touch the lives of many. Because what the enemy always wants to do is mess with people and say, well, what's the use? Look what's happened in your own family now. How are you ever going to be able to do anything? But yet God can take any situation or circumstance that people have been through and flip the thing totally around and use that as a testimony to touch the lives of millions of people. Always remember this, there are people that are hurting. This world is a place that is suffering with many, many hurting people. And sometimes you can get so focused on what you're doing that you never see the needs of others round about you. But when you say to the Lord, okay, I'm gonna submit to you, you the final authority, I'm going to submit to truth. In other words, everything in my life that's not true, I want it gone. I don't want to base my life on a lie. And I'm definitely not going to violate my conscience. In other words, I know when my heart is speaking to me. And I'm not going to override my conscience. But I realize now that there's authority structure within the kingdom of God and there's authority structure within the word of God. And that from this day, I'm going to submit myself to that authority. The first thing we do is to give our life to Christ, to say, Lord, here I am. I surrender my life to you. 
And then from that moment on, we then begin to renew our mind to the Word of God, and we begin to learn the ways of the Spirit of God. We begin to find out what our rights and privileges are in the body of Christ. We begin to learn about the power that has been given to us by the name of Jesus and by the Word of God and by the blood of Jesus. And all that was purchased for you at Calvary. In other words, at that moment, you begin to shut down every voice from the outside, every voice of the flesh, every lying religious devil of hell that wants to take the word of God and make it of none effect and say, no, I want what's pure. I want what is real. There's no reason for any person here under the sound of my voice to have a counterfeit. There's no reason for any person here from now to the time that Jesus comes to take you home to have pretend or play or just make like it is. You can have the real, you can have the genuine, and you can have something that is pure, something that is holy by just making that decision today. I'm trying to rescue ministers out of total confusion because they allowed their ministry to become polluted with everything that comes down the pike to where I'm not saying they don't get people saved. I didn't say that. I'm not saying they don't get people healed, but some of them are the most confused people I've ever met in my life. They have no peace. They don't have any joy. It's always like they're trying to impress somebody. They're trying to impress somebody. Our job is not to go around and impress anybody. Our job is only obey the Lord and do what God tells us to do. This whole submission to the Lord is not bondage. So we say, if I do that, I'll be living in bondage. No, you'll be living in total freedom and liberty. No bondage. Husband and wife says, why submit to your own husband? But the Bible speaks even amongst the church that we should submit one to another in the fear of the Lord. So it's under God that we submit to his grace and to his goodness. And that the Lord propels us and carries us. And so while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you are here today and you fit in any one of these categories, I want to pray with you and for you. Maybe you came here today. You don't know Jesus. You're not born again. You've never given your life to the Lord. A friend brought you here. Or you're tuning through. We live on dish and direct 70 million homes right now. You're flipping through the channels on this Sunday. But the Lord is speaking to you. It's time to surrender your life. Maybe you went to church once or twice, but you, you became a law to yourself. Listen, you cannot be a law to yourself. You must be submitted to his word. Yes, we live in a free country, but the free country does not allow me to violate what the word of God says and then expect the blessing of heaven. It doesn't work that way. But a life totally yielded and submitted to him. That's what he's looking for. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you fit into any one of these categories, I want to pray with you and for you. Maybe you came here today never given your life to Jesus, but today you want to give your life to him. Maybe you're here today and you grew cold. You've not been serving God like you should, but today you say, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm going to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, a storm came against my life, a sudden divorce, a bankruptcy the loss of a loved one, a sudden illness, the betrayal of a close friend, the loss of a job. Something happened that rocked and shook my world, but today I'm coming back. Today I'm coming back. Maybe you hear and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure of my salvation. The devil's always lying to me, telling me that I'm not saved, but today I'm going to make sure. I'm going to know that I know that I know that I'm a child of God. If you fit in any one of these categories, I want to pray with you and for you right where you are. Quickly, just go ahead and slip your hand up and say, pray for me right now. I need Jesus. God bless you over there. God bless you over there. God bless you over there. Just God bless you over there. Raise up high. 
wherever you might be, ushers, if you'd help me, just slip your hand up. Hands over this side, hand over there, another hand over there. Just raise up now and say, yes, Lord. Another hand back under the overhang, another hand back over that side. Just slip it up high. You can feel the Lord calling you, says, come, come. I want every person with your hand in the air to stand right where you are, stand. Every person with your hand in the air, stand. Quickly, quickly. Now, here's what's going to happen. That from today, you're going to find yourself under his authority. You see, you might look at me and say, well, pastor, you can do whatever you want to. I can't because I've already done this. I've already laid my life on the altar. I can only do what he tells me to do. I cannot just go, oh, I'll just go do this. We pray over everything that we do. Because I want to follow what the Lord's plan is. Can you say amen? And today you're going to place yourself right under his plan. I want you to step from where you are and come stand right over here. We're going to pray together. Come. Come. To follow Jesus. I have decided I have decided to follow Jesus before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. You can take the whole world with Jimmy Jesus. You can take the whole world. But give me Jesus. You can take the whole world. But give me Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. See, what the Lord's looking for from us is we would just say, I'm giving you my life today. And then I want to live the life that you have for me. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. That's why we have such a responsibility to raise our children in the ways of God so they learn to obey the voice of God. If children won't even obey their parents, they're definitely not going to obey God. That's why the responsibility is on a mother and father to speak the word of God to them. Somebody said, well, what if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Then you need to shape up yourself. It's very important. And then we set the path for them. Train up a child the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. And that's what this church is about. As you surrender your life and you come sit under the word of God, the word will come alive on the inside of you. And then you grab a hold of the Holy Spirit. He takes control of your life. The Holy Spirit will lead you. God will tell you, just like your father would tell you, 
The Holy Spirit said, no, don't do that. You'll be driving on the road, the Holy Spirit, no, don't go there. No, don't, don't, don't say that. The Holy Spirit will be guiding you, which is protection for you. I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit has helped me over the years with even what I'm talking about right now. So we're going to pray. I want you to close your eyes, raise your right hand to heaven. That's where your help comes from. Believe it in your heart. Say it with your mouth right now. Say, Father, I come to you in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Lord, you said in your word, if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I believe in my heart that God has raised you from the dead. I will be saved. So, Father, right now, I confess Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart right now. Take out the stony heart. Put in the heart of flesh. Wash me. Cleanse me. Change me. Fill me. Use me. Let me never be the same again. I turn my back on the world. I turn my back on sin. And I follow you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Thank you that on the third day you rose for me. And thank you that you're coming back again for me. From this day on, I'll never be the same again. I confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He is my Lord and my Savior. And right now, by faith in the finished work of the cross and by the shed blood of Jesus, I'm saved. Thank you, Lord, for saving me now. Now just lift both hands. Let me pray over you, Father. I pray that you would seal them now by your blood and by your spirit, that on that day not one would be missing. Raise them up to be mighty men and women of God and use them to impact this generation. I break every bondage, every addiction. I set every captive free. I break every curse. I send the curse back to its point of origin from this moment. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 This program has been brought to you by the friends and partners of Revival Ministries International in Tampa, Florida. For more information on the ministry of Drs. Rodney and Adonica Howard Brown or for additional resources, visit revival.com.